0: Hi, my name is Judith, also known as Jay. And I'm Elizabeth, but you can call me Bleggy. And we are The Fit, the podcast where we talk about developments in fashion tech and innovation in retail.
1: We also take you on our journey as we build eFitter, a tech company focused on personalising the shopping experience for the modern woman. To keep up to date with the latest episodes, subscribe to The Fit Podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would also like
0: to keep you posted on all things eFitter, so do follow us on socials at eFitter app and join the conversation using the hashtag thefitpod. This is our 60 second roundup where we
1: try to summarize what is going on in the world of fashion and tech in 60 seconds. Not only has the global pandemic transformed the way we interact and socialize, but it's also impacting the way we dress. With Off-White designing a sold out $95 face mask, some analysts are predicting that masks may be the best-selling accessory this year, overtaking trainers. However, with masks offering limited antiviral protection and a growing trend of healthcare streetwear, think NHS t-shirts, we're wondering whether this trend will last post COVID-19.
0: Saint Laurent have announced plans to remove itself from the traditional fashion calendar. Traditionally, fashion labels showcase their latest creations in fashion weeks and shows, but the current climate has meant the fashion calendar is more or less cancelled for the year. Instead, Saint Laurent will launch its collections whenever they are creatively inspired to do so. Reps at Balmain, Chloe and Balenciaga have also implied that the future of fashion is digital, so perhaps other
1: brands may follow suit. While many startups are struggling in this period, with up to 50% of European startups furloughing employees, some industries are thriving while we are in lockdown. Sex tech is on fire, with erotic apps, toy retailers and even sexual wellness companies reporting a boom. Some of our favourite tech companies, including Instagram, Slack and Uber, were founded during or just after the last recession. And it's fascinating to see that the next innovative industry is already making waves.
0: EFIT is going to be one of many tech companies to come out of the recession. However, building it as a pair is not without its challenges. In mid-January, way before the pandemic hit us, Elizabeth and I sat down in a busy in the city and had a talk. Here's how ours went. Do you feel comfortable? In doing, like, would you know the answer to this now? If I said how much would you want, like, is that something you know the answer to or do you want to have this conversation later?
1: Yeah, 50%. (laughs) 50%? Yeah.
0: Okay. Looking back now, I think it was from a place of, and we'll go more into detail in this episode, obviously, but it was a place of the idea versus the skill if that makes sense so in my head I was thinking okay but I I came up with this idea and this is another issue we're going to touch on later my baby right so 50 percent um but I want to know what was running
1: through your head at that that point actually um I couldn't believe the question was being asked (laughs) if I was being serious like I was just like what 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 do you mean why is this even a question but it was good that it was asked because if it wasn't then we would have had that conversation but yeah so I think um what had happened earlier on in that conversation is you asked what the vision or what my vision for the brand was and I found that a bit strange because I thought oh we I thought we were already aligned because if we weren't already aligned we wouldn't be working together at least I thought that But then I think the whole conversation brought up a lot of stuff about when you're working with co-founders or when you're working with anybody, you know, being super clear about how things are being communicated because what you may think is not what they may think. And people just make a lot of assumptions. And I think that's kind of where it, where the conversation was a lot more difficult than it needed to be. I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I understand what I was asking, and maybe I didn't ask it properly, but it wasn't a thing of, I'll be on the same page here, but it was long-term, I think in my head, I was thinking, okay. And I didn't really understand at that point, how we navigate it from just being us two, to being maybe another person we don't know, or a, a, a board, which is something we discuss in the conversation. But well, I think after the conversation actually, um, and got a lot of, I personally got a lot of insight into um. But yeah, I understand how the question may have been a bit like, what the hell? Um, but I'm glad we had it. I, I genuinely am, because I feel like now there's a lot of clarity and there's no overlapping. There's no discourse about one person thinks this, one person thinks that. Overall, and I think we alluded to this in our previous um episodes talking about co-founding, we're on the same page. And we understand where we want this business to go. Um, And I think that conversation did really cement that, definitely.
1: Yeah, so on that point, let's talk about it. So as co-founders, we've had a whole episode where we kind of spoke about the experience of being female founders. And we kind of touched on what it means to be co-founders. But I guess in this context, outside of, you know, business theory and the vision and all of that, you know, wonderful rainbow and sunshine stuff. What does it actually mean to be co-founders of a business as opposed to being a married couple? I know we made that parallel before, but that's not what we are (laughs) for good reason. And the dynamic of a marriage is obviously very different to a business. So let's talk about it. What did we learn about that experience that kind of illuminated this is this is what being co-founders is about?
0: I think from business to business it varies but i think the blueprint as it stands and how i understand it it's a partnership it's an equal partnership um where you both kind of put aside emotions. something we will have to talk about at some point put aside emotions and literally just come together for the good of the business so i think something you said to me actually when you realized that i was thinking more emotionally than business-minded literally said think what's best for the business like is what you're saying actually best for the business and when i took that step back i realized oh no it isn't i'm just literally thinking it from an emotional perspective so to me i think that's where the the difference is from a marriage to a co-founding partnership because it's more like okay we're in this together we have this one thing we're working on and we're building it from the ground up and you know sometimes the nose are going to hurt we're going to feel it together like we're going to go through a lot together. But at the end of the day, emotions need to take a backseat and we need to literally come together and build this this thing. So for me, I think that would be the greatest, or not the greatest, but the, the, the biggest hurdle I personally had to um, overcome and understand to understand what a co-founding partnership really was.
1: Okay. I think to add to that, I think it's more more so understanding that it is a business as opposed to throwing away emotions because like we're still people and we are still go- emotions are still going to get involved and I don't think even in business we should completely get rid of them i just think it's being aware of which emotions are worthwhile and which ones are just irrational and like what i mean by that is when it comes to the time when we're looking at raising funds sometimes we may we may for fortunate end up in a position where we're choosing between investors and it may well just be the investor that we like the most (laughs) it might actually just be that at the end of the day it might be oh the ones whose vision is or values are more closely aligned with what we share as well so there is a place for emotion i just think when i say thinking business first i think remembering that the purpose of a business is to make profit like we are we're running Ether because we want it to make money ultimately We can talk about everything else that we're trying to do in terms of, you know, making fashion industry more environmentally efficient and just having a better consumer experience in terms of getting your perfect size. But if it wasn't a business, if it was a not for profit, then we could have done all of that. But because it's a business, the focus is on the bottom line. And sometimes when we're too, you know, caught up in how we're feeling that can impact the bottom line.
0: I have a question though, because this is something we did talk about at the time and I was coming from a place of never really running a business per se versus you having the experience of running more to measure and albeit by yourself, it was still an experience, right? So does, would you say a co-founding partnership, does it have to be 50-50? What's your take on that?
1: I don't think it has to be 50-50. No, I don't um one of the things that we did speak about was i think you asked the question of oh if we were to hire a technical person now to join us and basically build the tech side of the business would they be a co-founder and i said yeah yeah absolutely but in that case depending on when that person joins would they be entitled to 33% just like the rest of us then that's on us to decide i guess because it really does depend on where we are and i think the thing that i learned about that whole experience and that conversation was that being a co-founder is not—it's not static. It's not a rule. There is no rule to being a co-founder. People do their things differently. So for some, if you've joined, I don't know, a year after conception, there's no way you can be a co-founder. Or for some, even after the business is launched, they may go and hire somebody and say this is also my co-founder. Um, and others may choose not to have that 50 for 50 division. But I think the thing that was unique about our situation was that we we're, we're still so early on we don't have a product yet. we are when we started working together it was still very much the research phase and I'd say, I'd say we're still there and that we're still learning about who we're going to market it to and how we're going to do so before we go ahead and build the product. So in that case um, if i was if I was in a position where um, with more to measure I had a co-founder. I would just have to think, okay, where where have they joined and what are they adding at that point? Is our workload equal? Are they bringing something that I would say is equivalent to the table? Are they building the business with me? And I think if the answer to, are they building the business with me is yes, then yeah, then for me, it's a no-brainer that they're a co-founder. And if I feel, then it's a question of, okay, what? how far are they building that business with me? Are they building it from scratch? Or have I already done 10 or 20% and I just need a leg along? And that's where the question of equity comes in. So I think I think that's why when the question was originally asked, I was a little bit taken aback because I was thinking, wait, what, this, it's not, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a concrete um, product. It's not a product yet, full stop. And it wasn't a concrete idea at the time. We still had to do some refining. So it just felt to me like, you know, we're both going along this journey together. We've both made a conscious decision to divide the workload um, as equally as we can. And that's what we're doing. But I mean, I I get it. From your perspective, it was, I've already got this idea. And like you said, we've spoken about ideas before. So I guess the question is, how much is an idea really worth?
0: Very good question. Um, I think back then, I would have a completely different answer to what I'd say now. But I think I read, like, I'm reading a lot more now into, like, just how businesses run in different and business structures. And I read some when someone was literally, like, an idea... Is worth zero. Like a lot of ideas exist, but to actually bring it to market and make it a profitable idea, that's when you determine the value of said idea. So I mean it's up for debate. You can quantify it however you like. But I think at this point, I would definitely say I overestimated the value of the idea of eFitter at that time for sure. Or um, but not really the idea, but my contribution with the ideal to the idea and I think that that is literally how it goes you can't really say an idea is the foundation of a business when you have to think about the product you have to think about marketing you have to think about you know iterations mvps like there's so much along the way to even get to where we want this business to be and be of value that we see or we envision right now um it's more than an idea it's way more so I mean the question I feel like it's an open-ended question and it can be answered however which way anyone wants to answer it but uh, yeah I think back then I definitely definitely overestimated the value of an idea to say it's zero yeah I would say if we're talking money and and figures yeah I would say an idea is literally worth zero unless
1: unless it's executed like, right yeah
0: basically yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's funny because you know obviously during this lockdown period everyone's using Zoom, and the other day I was helping my mom to join like a Zoom prayer line or something, and she said to me she's like, "Why is everyone using Zoom all of a sudden?" And I was like, "Well, I'm guessing people who use Zoom at work are now working from home, and then they told their friends, and it's kind of just spread like wildfire, wildfire." And then she was like, "Oh, but why don't? Are there not other options? Why don't they use Skype?" And I was just like, "Well, because Skype's crap." ultimately but, <laughs> but but zoom and Skype are the same products they are exactly the same thing they are a video conferencing solution they do both video calls and audio only calls they they work in the same way they are the same idea and it just got me thinking that without people sharing ideas there is no competition and without competition there's no innovation. The reason Zoom is better than Skype, or the reason I say Zoom is better than Skype, is they're more stable, their user interface is slightly better, and they have the cute little add-ons, like the little background stuff. But they're the same thing, ultimately. And Skype was there first, I think. So so I think um, placing all of our value on the ideas that we come up with can be dangerous, especially in this situation, because, like I've said in the past, this idea that you have for eFitter is part of the idea that I originally had from what to measure. And I can't come and claim that ether is all my idea because it's not. I didn't c I didn't envision it in this way, but it was the same idea. So I think that was one of the hurdles that we had to overcome when we we're having that conversation.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think my view has definitely changed. But what you're what you alluded to in terms of how ideas breed competition, which breeds innovation, is absolutely spot on and I think in this period more than ever we're seeing and they always say it in periods like a recession or a crisis these new innovative ideas come out of technically nowhere but in reality let's say I think 2008 was Uber it was who else was it um Uber Instagram Slack all of those before Slack yeah yeah all around those that period was literally and the thing is, Uber's like a perfect example of taxis always always existed. They were always there. It was never a thing of this is from the ground up and you know we're creating this completely new idea. It was literally taking an idea and being more innovative with it. And that's open doors for bulk, that's open doors for lift, that's open doors for captain, and this is what this is our world, this is what startups do. So yeah, I do believe that ideas are they're catalysts, I would say, but I wouldn't, see, I wouldn't see them as a determination of value.
1: Coming up next, we talk about how to keep your team balanced, some of the myths of running a startup and how to manage emotions in business. But first, we have an announcement. We're close to hitting 200 followers on Instagram. So to celebrate, we'll be running a giveaway. Details are coming soon, so make sure you and your friends are following at EFITARAP. One of the things that we ended up talking about was what our worth was and um, so a bit after the conversation that we had so we had this conversation and we said okay do you know what I see your point of view Judith said okay I'm gonna go away I'm gonna think on it I'm gonna pray on it and then we'll come back to it at a later date but and in my mind I was thinking okay you know you kind of sorted this out and then later that week um, there was a link to like a equity calculator thing and I think for me that was a trigger. Because the way that this equity calculator worked was you kind of entered, you you broadly tried to quantify your skill set to spit out a number to say, okay, this is what you're worth. And I don't believe in that first and foremost, but also I felt like off the back of the conversation that we had, it felt like it kind of just undermined it. So, that was another conversation, so we ended up talking about, okay, you know we're not going to put a number to the skills that we bring to the table, but we need to think about what we offer, and thinking about what we offer would help us to then figure out what our roles would be so let's talk about that that experience of figuring out how we balanced our skill set
0: yeah, um in the effort to be transparent, I do not have an experience in. Or have experience in the fashion industry I work in finance I've come from a law and investment banking degree so when we sat down and actually or when I sat down personally and we both did as well and looked at our skill set it was clear to me like without a doubt that Bleggy was literally the perfect person to run this business like oh, stop <laughs> she's worked in the fashion industry a SAS business as well which is our business model she has a lot of connections in the fashion industry. Um, and she has the experience of running a similar company. Like it doesn't get more qualified than that. Um, and I think from my perspective, it wasn't an issue of, oh, I feel less qualified. It was, how can we fix this gap? Because clearly, I think when I saw the calculator and I and I, I actually just feel it in that. For me personally, I didn't think it was something that would determine how much I was worth it was just trying to give me or whoever used it an idea of what they brought to the table whoever made a calculator I don't know I can't even tell anyone where I got it from um Google's your friend but I used it and I I can't remember the number it gave me I can't I know it was below 50 I remember that um and they also said funny enough um that I'm a weak CEO so I was like Oh, OK. So I literally just sent it to you off the back of me using it. It wasn't a thing of. This is what you're worth, like fill it in, nothing like that. Um, But in doing that, I did notice something we both already knew, really, was that there was a gap. Um, And there is an importance of a balanced skill set. Like, without a doubt, I do believe that whoever is coming together to run a company needs to figure out what each person can bring. Um, whether it be in experience, whether it be in knowledge, whether it be in just interest, I guess, because at a startup stage, no one really knows what they're doing. It's really a lot of guesswork and figuring out and consulting a lot of people and reading a lot and trial and error, which is something I'm getting used to. Um, but I think now, when I think once we realise that, or I realise that, OK, there is a gap in the skill set, it was important for me to draw on what I could offer regardless of the gap. So I have legal skills, right? I understand financial statements. I can build financial models. These are skills that a lot of people do not necessarily have the opportunity to draw on. Um, and I think also my experience before of like building a fashion blog and culminating views over time and interaction, like it was a way of me understanding how to build communities for women. I remember I was talking about that um, when we were applying for stuff previously. Um so I do believe whoever comes together to start a company definitely needs to think about what skill they do bring because like I said, like Bleggy knows way more than I do, um, has more experience, but we're both obviously still learning on this journey, we're obviously still learning from each other. Um but it just helps, it works and it makes us gel, I think, much better than if we both came from a very similar background.
1: Um, I think I think we both we need to be very honest with each other in general and with ourselves so um, you saying that you went through the skills assessment and it said that it spat out the whole week CEO thing I honestly wouldn't expect anything else because you've never been a CEO before I've never been a CEO before I'm, well, I mean technically you know what I mean like running a business running a small business is not the same as being is giving yourself a C-suite title it's not so I never really referred to myself as CEO as more to measure at the time because I wasn't really managing anyone. I was just managing operations and supply chain. But we are both new to this. So even though, you know, I have worked in an industry where thankfully an industry that is the same industry that we're building e-fitter in and I run my own fashion business. It doesn't mean that I am experienced. It means I have more experience than you do in that field. But like you said, you've got legal experience, you've got finance experience, you've got community building experience. So I think one of the key lessons I've learned over the last couple of weeks. So this was even way after this conversation when we were going through applications and that kind of thing was just being honest with your, your assessment of your own skills. One of the toughest questions that we always get asked is, why should you build it and not somebody oh my God. else?
0: <laughs> no, Leggy, I absolutely hate that question. <laughs> Can I actually be candid for a second? I completely hate that question.
1: But it gave us a chance to be really introspective about what we have to offer. And, and it was stuff that we couldn't even quantify and stuff that was kind of left field. Like you said, your experience building a fashion blog, which... At first thought, you didn't. It didn't even cross your mind that that would be related. But you're building an audience that is identical to the audience that we're building for Ethiter. So that would definitely go a long way. And I think that's why, going back to the original point about um, the whole equity calculator fiasco, I the part of the reason I felt um, felt away about it is we can't quantify things like that. How much is a law degree worth versus working in banking versus running a fashion business versus, you know, working in SaaS? How much is that worth? We can't really measure it. And then things that are sort of left field that are definitely valuable experience kind of get swept under the rug. I just think it's a very basic way of doing things, especially as we are both learning on this journey. And there is definitely a skills deficit. Like we've always been very open about the fact that, you know, in an ideal world, we have a tech, technical co-founder um we're doing our work to fill that skills gap in the meantime which is great but we just need to keep revisiting and thinking okay we are co-founders we're people what do we need today that we don't have what do we outsource and what do we learn ourselves and I think for for me that's the crucial thing in terms of building a solid co-founder team that
0: leads us perfectly to this idea and like the myth of the perfect beginning Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and I'm I'm gonna allude to like i mean i mean when we think about tech startups the first one that comes to mind is facebook right and that's like the og startup in the tech industry i mean you know well how many of them were there four or five college boys in harvard or whatever sitting down in a room and knowing you know they all had the skill set they all had tech they all knew what they they were doing they all built this idea initially internal like within the community and then it became this big billion dollar company and it's like okay nice but there's a lot of Startup myths
1: that need to be debunked. The idea that the business that becomes famous is the business they started with. For example, you mentioned Facebook, but um, one of everybody's favorite tech companies right now is Netflix, right? Netflix has had a massive boom in membership and subscriptions because everyone's indoors, right? My mum is hooked at the moment on Greenleaf. I don't think you understand. Like, you know, I'm talking 2 a.m. binges. But yeah, like Netflix is not a new business. All of us feel like it's a business that kind of came into its own in the last, I guess, five years with the streaming boom. But Netflix has been around since I think it was 1997 that Netflix was founded. Netflix is an old company, My Tech Standards. But the original Netflix, as it was, was a little bit like what we have in the UK or what we had. I don't know if it still exists. Love Film, which was you get like your films in the letterbox, have it rented, watch your film and then send it back, post it back. Kind of like Blockbuster. Exactly, like Blockbuster, but by a post. Yeah. And now, obviously, it's a streaming giant, and they're not doing any of that nonsense anymore because no, one's, no one watches films in the physical form, right? So I think the biggest myth of startups is that what, goes, what makes you famous is what you started with. And what Netflix did was they realised, um, okay, at the beginning, this was cool. You know, they were doing something innovative. People don't have to get up and go to their nearest blockbusters or whatever. They can just post their DVDs back. And then they realise, oh, wait, OK, DVDs and Blu-rays are kind of falling out of fashion. People are starting to watch films on their memory sticks. Oh, why don't we look at streaming? And that is why they're as big as they are, because they really got in the game early on, like, Blockbuster. So I just think um, people need to understand the importance of pivoting. So we have an idea of eFitter right now. It does not mean that that's what eFitter is going to look like in five years' time.
0: The second one I think about is this idea that all customers want the same thing. Like every single customer that you somehow um, get, whether through marketing or through word of mouth or whatever, wants the same thing. I think that is something we have learned in building a user persona, building eFitters Market, that we've used to kind of figure out what each person wants. Like we've figured out, when I say user persona, it's as specific as literally a person walking down the street. It's not a group of people. It's one person, um, so yeah. I think that's that's another myth that comes to mind for me.
1: Exactly, and on that point, I think um, we've got to be careful because we've, we're building a business now, and we now know who our exact persona is. And thankfully, when we look at like the data on you know stuff like Instagram, it looks like the majority of people who are access who are interacting with us fit that market, which is great. But we need to be careful and listen to the people who are actually you know putting money in our pockets ultimately because it may well be that we have created persona a but persona b are generating more and we're focusing all of our energies and our marketing spend on persona a even though they are less interested than persona b and often that's how brands pivot because they notice that actually their market has shifted their market has changed and that may happen you know brands markets are not consistent they may change over time and you've just got to adapt to it
0: we haven't really got to this point of like raising investment yet, but I do think this is a myth that I feel like every startup founder needs to completely get out of their head. The idea that investments are going to pour in and they're like, <laughs> you know, straight to victory, like you just, you know, that's it, you're the billion dollar company that oh, you always good. imagined. I think we're being very realistic with what we have, what we have access to and where we are at as well. Even just applying for grants and things like that, you'd think, yeah, that's it. Like, we've definitely won this. <laughs> <laughs> we've definitely won this. And then it's just like, oh, we haven't. Okay.
1: Yeah, ego's a hell of a drug. I think because we're so used to these startup stories, sometimes we kind of just get, get in the cloud about them. But... I blame the, the movies. I really oh, do blame the movies. I blame I'm sorry. the movies. But also, I think it's because we're so exposed to this these big startups now. Um, these big tech startups were so aware of them and it's so easy now to start a business so a lot of people start a business and they think oh, okay great in five years time i'm going to be a millionaire now but the but the reality is the majority of small businesses never raise funding ever ever they just you know they'll get out their business loan and then the rest of it is just generating revenue that they need to survive and that's it um for tech companies it's obviously a little bit, bit um different because they're a lot more expensive to run which is why a lot of them need to raise funding and we'll probably get to that stage fairly soon as well but I've never raised funding before but from speaking to people who have it does not sound like an easy road by any stretch of the imagination it sounds yeah it sounds grueling like for want of a better word it's just it sounds very intense and there's a part of me that's really looking forward to it that is excited to kind of just you know feel like you're knocking on doors. <laughs> feel like you're knocking on doors and saying, hey, this is my great idea. Um But then there's a part of me that's absolutely dreading it because it does sound extremely difficult and we're going to have to end up having a lot of conversations kind of like after every meeting, okay, what could we have done better? Refining every single pitch, every single time. I think
0: that leads us though to a final point, something that we did talk about in that conversation. Um about emotions versus business I think you put it perfectly like it's not really about completely letting your emotions die when you're in business but it's understanding that the bottom line comes first I think that's a really important conversation to have to understand that you know it's not about how you feel necessarily it's not all the time anyway um there may be conversations that we have where it's literally like you said a feeling like I just don't feel like this is the way to go or I just don't feel like. I want to do this, we should do that. And these are conversations that we will have to have at some point. But, yeah, I think essentially it's not really a complete die to self in terms of emotions, but it's just a perfect balance and it is more business than emotions.
1: Absolutely. Going back to that conversation, um, I think there was a point where you you very honestly said, I feel like, I know that what I'm saying right now is not really rational, but... I think this is, this is just the way that I feel. If is my baby, this is it. And I was just like, okay. You know, I gathered. I gathered because the conversation was just very, it was very bizarre once we kind of got into it in that you completely understood where I was coming from, if not more than I did. <laughs> and, and yet it was still kind of a shock to your system. And I was just really confused by it because it wasn't a thing where I had to persuade you of my way of thinking you all, already got yeah. it, but you decided yeah. that this is the way <laughs> you feel. Oh, my so, so I was like, okay, you know, I think we need to have a conversation about eFitter right now and the relationship that we have with eFitter because although you came up with the idea of eFitter, we are doing this together. We are co founders. And this is going to mean that going forward, we're going to need to make big decisions together with the help of a board. So um, one of the questions that came up when I asked for fifty percent was, "Oh, so who has a deciding vote, or you know, who makes the de- the decision ultimately?" And well, there are kind of two answers to this. The first is if I'm dealing with operational stuff, so the, the actual ways in which things work, then it would stand to reason that that would make sense. But if it's to do with the broader vision, then it would stand to reason that that's your remit, you know, because that's what you take care of. But we need to be able to agree with each other on the big decisions. Because if we don't, then I guess there's a question about whether we share a vision. And if we don't, that's OK, because we are human. But that's where working with a board of advisors comes in, because they will be the ones who steer us in the right direction, ultimately.
0: I think the idea of Aoife to be my baby, I've definitely let go of since then. Like it's like she said, like I, I understood. I, I got it. She didn't have to argue nothing. It made perfect sense um but there was a lot of unraveling i had to do like emotionally um in terms of my ties to the business and actually just put on a business hat and think rationally um and like i said that's growth that's that that's is growth for
1: real it's growth i think there was a there was a part in the conversation where um maybe it wasn't that conversation actually but it was i think it was the subsequent conversation that we had where i was actually really annoyed um actually not annoyed I think the word is insulted (laughs) I think part of the conversation has kind of gone so left that for me I started to take it almost as a personal attack and in doing that I thought you know what I need to just take some time to kind of reflect on everything and I'm really glad that I did that because after I went I came back from that period of just reflecting on you know how I feel about the different components of eFitter it was just a lot clearer in terms of how we can work together going forward and what we need and one of the really good outcomes was following um the next conversation we had we basically went through all of the difficult stuff and we had definitive answers to everything so we had like a working document now where we're going to keep revisiting it as things grow and change so like every few months to say okay this is what we are doing and This is like these are the rules right now and things may change in terms of like what our goals are, what our values are, you know, how we feel about stepping down from different roles or changing roles or what we're looking for in a board and all of that kind of thing. These things may change, but at the moment, this is what we've got. So I think it was just super important for us to have everything down in writing and say, okay, these are the definitive answers rather than kind of just going back and forth and umming and ahhing.
0: It was great that we had a conversation, all in yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. I honestly. think it was needed. I think it, it was, was definitely needed.
1: So far, the best thing that we've done
0: for eFitter. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fit. For more updates, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitter app, or follow us with the hashtag, The Fit Pod.
1: Don't forget to like us, rate us, comment, engage, however you listen to your podcasts. It's really important for us so that we can get the word out there. See you soon. Bye.